Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies and nostalgia, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, where this week we're talking more about the work of Kirsten Dunst. I'm Cara Gail O'Regan. With me is my co-host Jordan Poland-Clark. Hi! And uh, today we're going to be focusing on another movie from 1999 starring Kirsten Dunst called Drop Dead Gorgeous, which was a mockumentary about a small town beauty pageant that turns deadly as it becomes clear that someone will go to any lengths to win. Uh, And then we'll also be talking about some of her other work because I've watched like 15 of her movies this month. I underachieved and you (laughs) overachieved. Well, it balances out then. You say her name like Kirsten. Mm-hmm. It's in my and brain. It's Kirsten. Kirsten. Yeah, actually, which one is correct? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know either. Know. Can I? My the thing that I learned about Drop Dead Gorgeous this time that I mm-hmm. never cared about before was that it was directed by um, Michael Patrick Jan John. I don't know how to say his last name, but he was mm. a member of the state. And um, like a lot, oh. a lot of members of the state went on to like be on screen, yeah, um, or like be kind of prolific off screen. Um, but he's one who kind of only did this. <laughs> well, um, he also uh, directed. It looks like a lot for Reno Nine One One. He does stuff. TV, yeah. yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, cool. Like, the state just keeps giving and giving and giving. It's truly amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was written by Lona Williams. So it was actually written by a woman. How exciting. Which, so I, during this movie, there were a bunch of times where I was like, I feel like they're making fun of Midwesterners and they're making fun of this and they're making fun of this. But then if you read about her, she was like a Midwestern teenage beauty queen. So I'm like, yeah. I guess it's okay. No, I actually think that this movie could have been a lot meaner. And I also like a think lot... it could have been a lot better. Yeah, sure. But like, I, as far as like the beauty pageant goes, I, it doesn't kind of, like it makes everyone look ridiculous. Yes, but it doesn't. I don't know. I feel like it's just, it has, like, more respect for the beauty pageant than I would otherwise expect. Because, like, for a lot of women, and, like, you see this in this movie, like, they don't have a ton of choices or, you know, uh, ways to get out of where they came from. And for a lot of people, beauty pageants are, and, like, they're not taken very seriously, but, like, they're as important for kids some kids as like you know sports and stuff like that are yes anyway i interrupted you Mm -hmm. what you were saying oh you were talking about the writer Mm -hmm. which uh she wrote shark tale the movie (laughs) she wrote uh scout's guide to the zombie apocalypse which i have not seen um she's also she was a writer's assistant on The Simpsons, mm-hmm. and so that's how she started. Oh, and she's uh, the woman judge. Yes, in Drop she Dead is. Gorgeous. I didn't realize that. That's the so woman judge who never says a word and just makes a f- face the whole time. Yeah, she's well because she's also. Where else did she show up? In the furniture store, she's like the assistant. Or, like, 
works for oh my god I can't remember anybody's name <laughs> the Kirstie Alley's husband does he have yeah. a name Lester she, Lehman okay yeah Lester Lehman she works for him mm-hmm. it seemed like in the furniture store and he was a real dick to her yeah Um, yeah, I forgot that Kirstie Alley was in this. So she plays the Everybody's former, I know, the cast list. I mean, we got Denise Richards, we got Allison Janney, Ellen Barkin, uh, Brittany Murphy is in this, Amy Adams. Amy Adams' first movie. Mm-hmm. Let's see who else is on here. Oh, Adam West is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As Adam West. Tom Lennon is... He's the uh, voice. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. realize that. I didn't recognize his I voice. I did. I think that's like... Uh, uh, Will Sasso from Mad TV plays mm-hmm. a upsetting character. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I was not as enamored of this movie on this watch as I have been previously. I loved this movie when it came out, and I had seen it several times since then, but I hadn't seen it in a while. Well, like, because the parts of it that are good are, like, so good. Like, mm-hmm. when Alice and Jenny and Ellen Barkin and Kirsten Dunst are all together, like, it's gold. Even not without Kirsten Dunst there, actually, just the Alice yeah, just and Jenny the and Ellen Barkin scenes are so good. Yeah, and, I would love to um, see, like, a buddy comedy with the two of those. Um, oh, who, uh, Mindy Sterling is in mm-hmm. it too, who's famous from being in the Austin Powers movies mostly. Oh, yeah. Um, she has one of the best lines in the movie. Which is? Which is when they're, so, uh, they like are at this big beauty pageant, they're all competing, and somebody's sabotaging everyone. And Kirsten Dunst's um, tap dance costume gets stolen, Mm -hmm. and she's just, like, done with the bullshit, so she, like, goes and blames um, Denise Richards' character, who everyone thinks is the one doing the sabotaging, Mm -hmm. and so they get in, like, a hair-pulling, like, girl fight, and uh, Mindy Sterling comes and pulls them apart, and Kirsten Dunst is like, I hate her! I hate her! And she go, Mindy Sterling goes, I know, we all do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's just, like, kind of subtle, like, underneath some yelling, and it's just, like, the most perfect, honest Yeah. Well, so this takes place in Minnesota, um, which is a state uh, famous for uh, something called Minnesota Nice, which is uh, how people from Minnesota seem really nice all of the time, but also they're really (laughs) (laughs) passive-aggressive. And they're kind of, like, dicks, but you would not... You would never know unless you really pay attention. Um, And there's a lot of that in this movie. And it's like, I feel like is one of the main engines in allowing the action in this movie to happen. Because Kirstie Alley plays like a four... What's the actual Miss whatever called? Oh, it's like Miss something Rose something. Hold on, I'll look it up. Okay. Well, anyway, she is. She had won when she was a teenage girl. Now her daughter is competing in the pageant, played by Denise Richards. Um, Kirsten Dunst is also competing, but she is poor and like works in a funeral home doing hair and makeup. Um, but she's a really good tap dancer, and she's like the only one among these girls that actually has like a real talent. 
Um, well, also the girl that does a monologue from Soylent Green seems quite talented, but uh, in a different way. Um, Here's the yeah. name of the pageant. Mm-hmm. Sarah Rose Cosmetics Mount Rose American Teen Princess Pageant. Right. So Mount Rose is the town that they live in. <laughs> and so that is, I've also been watching a uh, season two of Fargo, which oh, Kirsten boy. Dunst is on. And she plays More another character mi- from Minnesota. Minnesota accents. Yeah. Um, she's excellent in that. But uh, where, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So Mount Rose is the town. And so, the the majority of the movie is the town beauty pageant, and then it goes to state and then nationals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did we get here? We're both. We should have said this at the beginning. We're both like real weird and sleepy today. <laughs> <laughs> so this is gonna. This is a weird one. Yeah. Uh, so like we're like very ADD. A little bit today. How do we get here? How do we get out? <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, this was one of several movies that Kirsten Dunst was in that came out in 1999. It was really like a crazy year for her. Because uh, it was this, it was... Um, Dick, which we did. Dick. Oh, God. That movie is so good. Um it was virgin suicides virgin suicides which we also did uh it was also the year that she was in the savage garden savage garden music video for i knew i loved you oh that song was a big Before deal I too you. wow i don't think i've ever seen the music video yeah I'm gonna see um, it now. and that year she was also in a tv movie that aired on like cinemax or showtime or something called the devil's arithmetic which also starred um, Brittany Murphy, and it's this weird kind of Wizard of Oz sort of story where Kirsten Dunst plays this, like, bratty, entitled modern teen in the 90s who, uh, you know, just is living her life in New Rochelle, New York, and uh, she goes to her family's house for a Passover Seder, and, um, you know, it's, like, clear that she is not at all, like, connected to her heritage and, like, isn't really, like, listening to the elders in the family telling her stories about their past, many of whom were Holocaust survivors. Um, and so she gets hammered during the Seder and then uh, somehow travels back in time um, to... Like you do when you get drunk. Yeah, you know, the Manischewitz can really fuck you up, but... Uh, she, like, gets transported back in time, like, into the body of her, I guess, great-aunt's cousin. And her great-aunt had was, like, always telling her how much she looked like her and stuff like this. And so it, they're, like, in Poland. It's right before the Nazis invade. And then, you know, they do. And it's this whole thing. And they're shuttled off to a concentration camp. Um, I only watched, like, half of it because I... It was just, like, it was too much. I couldn't really handle it. Um, I have a really hard time with Nazi shit, especially now. Um, but that was interesting. It, like, wasn't great because it was a TV movie. It, it, like, you know, the 
everyone was trying really hard. I'll say that much, but it was interesting um, and uh, difficult to watch. So that also came out in 1999. This which... is like, I feel like she was a really big deal between like 1998 and like 2002. Yeah, I, I think she really exploded in 99. Yeah, um, and then, like, up until, like, Spider-Man, I feel like she was, like, a big deal. Mm-hmm. I was gonna watch a Spider-Man, but, uh... Spider-Man. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them, the and f- the first I one like isn't the first streaming anymore. pretty okay. Yeah, I was gonna watch it, but it just, like, wasn't easily If you available. ever want to have a fun time, watch the third one. Okay. God, it's really um, bad. So she's had these, like, int- like different eras in her career like the first was child actress when she was on like interview with a vampire and she but was not on like ER kid actress while. like she was an actress like she was yeah. good you know oh that's what i mean she wasn't like in kid stuff she was doing uh, like... she was in some kid stuff she was in jumanji that's true she was but even mm-hmm. jumanji is not a kid's i mean yeah, it's a kid's it's movie terrifying. but jumanji is scary yeah <laughs> like um no, she did some kid stuff. Like, she did the uh, English version voice for Kiki and Kiki's Delivery Service, which is a Miyazaki film. Um, she was in, oh, she was on Star Trek Next Generation, at least for one episode. She was in Little Women, plays the younger Amy March. But those so are kids' like, movies. Yeah, so that was like 89 through 96, 97. Then she gets into, like, movie teen era. Yeah. Which is when Dick and Drop Dead Gorgeous and Virgin Suicide's happening. And then she ages. Yeah. And then she ages into Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Crazy Beautiful. Crazy Beautiful. Eternal Sunshine. Uh, Yeah, that's a little bit later. Um, But I watched Elizabeth Town, which is a fucking garbage movie. Gross. Glad I didn't watch it so bad i remembered not liking it and i didn't realize how bad it is um she is so manic pixie dream girl in that it is infuriating it's just oh it's so bad there's so much ryan adams on the soundtrack big red flag uh yeah so she was doing that and then spider-man um but in that time she was also in mona lisa smile which i rewatched. um and i don't remember watching that a thousand times but apparently I did because I knew, like, all of the words. <laughs> it was really bizarre. Um, like, I couldn't quote anything back to you, but I, like, knew what they were saying. It was very odd. Um, and I also remembered that that was the movie that ruined me for any art history class that I would go on to take. Because it's about uh, Julia Roberts, who is such a fucking movie star. She Like, every time I watch something with her in it, I'm just, like, gobsmacked at how amazing she is. Um, But she plays this uh, art history professor. Like, it's her first job out of school. She came from California to Wellesley, which is one of the, like, I think the most uptight of the Seven Sisters schools. Um, And it's, like, 1950-something. I'm not sure exactly. But modern art was happening and had been happening And uh, so her art history class that she's teaching is uh, about what is art, what makes something art, and, like, 
you know, exploring this new and different genre that had come to the fore in the last few decades. Um, and she really like bumps up against the, the uptightiness of Wellesley and the system and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, Kirsten Dunst plays uh, kind of her, um, I guess her foil, like it's, she's one of the students in the class who is like clearly extremely smart, comes from like a very fancy family, is engaged to a guy from like the Jones family, as in keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and so they like really like butt heads a lot. And um, I don't know, that's a really interesting movie. The cast is incredible. It's mostly women. It's like Maggie Gyllenhaal and um, oh, who else was in it? Oh, Julia Stiles is in it. Jennifer Goodwin. Um, oh, Marsha Gay Harden is great in it. And uh, I just, that's a great movie. Have you seen it? No, I remember when it was out and like they like, like all those like young women were in it. And it was mm-hmm. like, it seemed to me, my read on it, you know, in 2003, when it came out was kind of like, oh, like, cool. They put them all together and they're all like. <laughs> I don't know, it seemed like it was, like, their move on from, like, doing those high school movies, kind of. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because it's a college movie. (laughs) Yeah, and so it was, like, I knew that I should watch it and like it, but I Mm -hmm. didn't ever see it. Yeah. Well, it's definitely worth uh, seeking out, because it's really a beautiful film. Um, And she gives them, uh, she gives her class because uh, paint-by-number sets were, like, brand new at the time, and so she gives them out to her students to do for homework, and it's a paint-by-number of Van Gogh's, one of Van Gogh's sunflower canvases. And um, at the end of the movie, they've uh, decorated her office with all of the different versions of it, because everyone painted theirs so differently, and it's I totally forgot about that scene and was, like in a puddle on the floor just like crying so hard it just i love it it's so good so highly recommend that one um that happened in 2003 and then her next movie actually was eternal sunshine and then another spider-man and then elizabeth town and then marie antoinette which um i was telling you i was watching the other day i like it more every single time i see it it is i think a visionary work of art that was so underappreciated at the time but like if you revisited it now is really incredible and it definitely is something that walked so that the favorite could fly you know what I mean Mm-hmm. yeah I like remember seeing it when it came out and just not I th- I'm sure that I would like it more now mm-hmm. I can just remember that I thought it was very pretty yeah and kind of boring and it is and that Jason um, Schwartzman, is that his name? Yeah. Was, like, super miscast, and I didn't like it. Oh, interesting. Um, interesting. You should watch it again, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> because I, I think, uh, I, like, because when I see it now, I see so much more depth. Like, we were talking about, when we were talking about with the Virgin Suicides, that, like, Maybe she, maybe Sofia Coppola makes movies that seem boring because they're about women who have something else like going on that isn't 
like super on the surface like a very deep like inner life yeah. and like inner process that you right. really can't even actually see but you're mm-hmm. aware that it's there yeah but it's very buried it feels in her movies interesting okay yeah um but I don't know I guess it's it's probably because I'm old like because I'm older and because I have had like different kind of chapters in my life now that I can understand more Mm -hmm. the way that that film is structured and like the different chapters in Marie Antoinette's life because it it, basically it's only from when she is sold to the French like to marry the guy who is going to be king uh up through when they are uh captured during the French Revolution and then just ends basically um, they're in a carriage uh, after they've been apprehended and um, the carriage is leaving Versailles and uh, he says something about you know one of the gardens there and she just says I'm just saying goodbye which is so sad Um, but you see it like she's so lonely the whole time (laughs) and it's like I don't know I just connected with it so much more than I had um, when it came out, and it's just like craft-wise, such a beautiful film. Like the like the costumes are just out of this world, and it's just like visually such a feast for the eyes. And then I think on top of that, there's some interesting like character and story stuff happening. I feel like Kirsten Dunst has like two levels. Mm-hmm. One is, like, what we, like, want, kind of want her to be based on how she looks. Mm-hmm. You know, very kind of, like, bubbly, like, happy, pretty blonde. Mm-hmm. And then she has this whole other level that's just, like, despondent, sad, depressed. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Kirsten Dunst uh, Depression Extended Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so the next thing that I watched... Uh, was from 2010 and I've read an article or an interview with her where she was talking about uh, an acting coach that she started working with around 2010 which was when she says that like things really changed for her she started taking different choices like making different choices about the scripts that she was going to work with and really like thinking approaching the projects that she took more in like I want to work with this director than like I this is uh, a job that they want to give to me you know what I mean um and so she started working with this new acting coach slash therapist whatever and and she really uh she points to that as like a real turning point in her career and so in 2010 she was in a movie called All Good Things with Ryan Gosling um do you remember a few years ago, uh, there was an HBO documentary series called The Jinx, and it was about a man named Robert Durst, who was the heir to some real estate, you know, dynasty. Yeah, and he murdered all his wives. <laughs> he murdered, he allegedly murdered a wife, and also <laughs> some uh, other guy. Some other guy and neighbor, his something. friend, yeah. Um and this was actually like a uh uh like narrative fiction film that they made based on that story oh. in 2010 but then in like 2015 or whenever that was 
the same director made this documentary and it was the documentary that actually like led to him finally being like uh arrested he admitted for... it on tape in the documentary yeah. well he, he had a hot mic like, on and he went to the bathroom and was like yeah i killed him did it kill them all like yeah. what what are you what yeah so that's a real truth of stranger than fiction situation <laughs> that they had like made a whole movie about it and then it got even crazier um but she plays the the wife um and she's excellent in it it was an okay movie but she was really good oh um, this doesn't matter but now mm-hmm. i'm googling did so wait did Andrew, was it Andrew Jarecki who made the fiction one or he made the and other the one? documentary yeah he made both because of them. he also made capturing the Freedmans which is like oh, yeah. the best documentary ever in the whole world I mean it's it's definitely very good I mean it's, it's up there no, it was yeah. like a a landmark documentary for sure yeah, I don't like know about was, the best ever it, no I know okay I'll draw it back <laughs> a little um, it's just like it's one of the only documentaries I've ever seen where I'm like. I can't I can't decide after watching it ever what I believe. Yeah. Which is rare, I think. Well, yeah, because documentaries so often have a very specific point of view, like the way So like I actually was going to like be a documentary filmmaker. I thought at one point that that was what I wanted to do. I wanted um, to do that too. Yeah, but at the time it seemed like the only kind of career path was like working in reality television or you know working for 10 years on a documentary that no one would ever see Mm -hmm. because like as far as like distribution for documentaries go there wasn't really like a good channel for that or not channel but like uh I don't know what the word I'm looking for is but now that there are streaming services obviously it you know, increases people's accessibility to documentaries so much more. And so it's like a lot more of a, I think, career path now. I'm not sure. I know. But anyway, it's still really, really difficult. It's still really hard. Like it's still very, very difficult. Yeah, for sure. To ever like make money and be funded and actually make the thing. Yeah. And like all films, like the amount of documentaries that are made versus the amount of documentaries that are seen. It's like such a tiny, tiny fraction. You know what? I've seen this movie. I've seen all good things. But it was like one of the like I turned it on like after you know, after seeing the jinx. Oh, okay. And kind of like didn't pay attention it's while not I was watching because it's not good. Compelling. No, yeah. It's... I mean it's not that it's not good. It I just it didn't grab me at all and I was like the jinx is a lot more interesting. <laughs> but I am more oriented toward nonfiction media in general anyway. Like I'd always rather watch a documentary than like a narrative feature, but what was I talking about? Oh, just that like because I was on that track for a while I wound up taking so many more like uh, documentary ethics and like media studies uh, sorts of and and actual documentary production classes that like we have a much better understanding of like the that that a documentary is just one way to look at something whereas I think most people like watch a documentary documentary and they're like yep that's what happened and like that's the story you know what I mean versus um a team of people worked on this thing 
and made this thing and they had to leave out a lot of stuff and they right, made very specific they had to make choices cohesive, about what to put in and put they had to make it a cohesive movie and, that a human could watch right and <laughs> like, and like probably especially if it's something that's going to go to netflix or something a entertaining documentary which can like to make something entertaining can often like butt it up against the truth of like what actually happened or whatever so like i where did we get here from i don't know because you're talking about about all good things yeah oh that you said that you watch capturing the friedmans and every time you don't know what to think that like most documentaries will lead you to a conclusion like yeah, a or you come conclusion. into it, you know, already mm-hmm. having certain feelings about a topic, and so it's right. really easy for you to. Go it either one confirms way or, the or other. denies your bias. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, the next thing that I watched, uh, so all good things was 2010. In 2011, Melancholia came out. So that was the Lars von Trier movie that she was in, which is two different movies. And doesn't need to be one movie, and definitely doesn't need to be as long as it is. Um, I also remember thinking that Melancholia was really boring. <laughs> it's not that it's really boring, it's just that the first half... So it's about these two sisters who... Uh, Kirsten Dunst is super depressed, and her sister is super anxious. And like both of them are clearly unmedicated and have never heard of a therapist before. But anyway, and neither has anyone in their family. (laughs) But, um, like, so it's about these two women, but also in the, like, the backdrop for this whole thing is that there is this planet that they didn't know about before that suddenly... I guess it was, like, hiding behind another planet or something. I forget the exact, like, explanation of it. It's all very... I, I really like this aspect of the movie, the sci-fi part of it's really cool, but um, the planet is supposed to make this orbit, like, around the Earth and, and pass really close to the Earth, so it's going to cause all sorts of, like, weird things, but it's going to be this incredible celestial, hap- celestial happening, um, but also there's, like, a slight chance that it might, like, boomerang back and crash into the Earth, so these two sisters are kind of like planets that are orbiting and sometimes crashing into each other. And so the first half of the movie is about Kirsten Dunst's character. Her, it's like the day of her wedding and it's this like big elaborate thing. And it's at some fucking castle and Kiefer Sutherland is paying for it for not Kiefer. Wait, which one is Jack Bauer? The guy that was on 24? Yeah, that's Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer. Okay. So he's there, he's paying for it, and he's an asshole. Um, And Kirsten Dunst is dealing with some clinical depression, some, like, serious clinical depression, and everyone's like, why can't you just be happy? And so, like, her entire support system is just full of, like, really toxic and horrible people, and it's this really long wedding and so like the combination I don't like weddings I really don't like toxic family situations so that whole first part of the movie is like unbearable for me and then all of a sudden it's a different movie and it's after sometime after the wedding don't know how long whatever but now the planet is much closer and her sister is really nervous about it and freaking out and um they're like on their estate and it kind of follows her sister around some more and eventually the 
event happens and, you know, everybody dies. The world ends. Yeah. I really like the second half a lot. And I really wish that the first half wasn't there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even remember the first half. Maybe I didn't watch it. Maybe I've only seen the end. Well, so I've seen it twice now. And uh, both times I finished it was like, "Mm, okay, I never have to see that again. Um, (laughs) That's how I feel about most Mars Frontier movies. Yes, that is 100%. How, how, like, And I don't even want to watch Lars von Trier movies anymore at all because we now know that he is a oh, yeah. horrible person right. and also a Nazi. So um, that's not cool. But I watched this one for Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> not for him. Um, but like the first time that I watched it, I, I like gets right up to the very end of the wedding part and I turn it off and I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't handle this. And then I turn it back on and I'm like, all right, it's going to be another movie now. And I did that both times that I watched it. It's just weird. And it's exhausting is a good way to describe it. Um, But that's definitely a uh, landmark work. I think in the Kirsten Dunst, depression extended universe it's also around that time that she actually um underwent like an inpatient treatment program for clinical depression uh so there were like rumors that she had like gone to rehab for drug abuse or something like that and she had to be like no actually it's just you know this instead um she hasn't done any like really long form interviews though Which I was a little disappointed by because I would love to hear her talk to somebody like Terry Gross or Mark Maron or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, Because most of the interviews that I was able to find with her are just like short, press junkety kind of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she hasn't really talked about it that much in detail. Um, The next year, in 2012, she was in a movie called Bachelorette, which I tried to rewatch and just couldn't because, like... It's supposed to be this way. Everyone is a fucking asshole. Look, like, what a it's good cast, unbearable. Though. I'm looking at it yeah. now. Like Kirsten Dunst, Lizzie Kaplan, I love Lizzie Kaplan, and who Rebel I love. Wilson. Like what a dream so team. I know. And the woman who wrote and directed it is um, Leslie oh, she Headland, made Russian Doll. Who made Russian what Doll? What happened? Yeah. How'd they mess it up? I don't. No, I feel like, like, like this had to happen for Russian Doll to be able to happen because everyone in Russian Doll is also kind of an asshole, but like but it works there. Way. Yeah, and here it's them. just too much, and I like cannot handle it. And I mm-hmm. couldn't really make it past the first fifteen minutes on this watch. I did watch it on Netflix like several years ago when it first went on there because I was like, "Ooh, Lizzie Kaplan, love her," you know. Um, and I hated it so much. But at the very end, they're at this wedding. And uh, one of my friends from high school was, like, in the wedding band. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Did not expect to see him there. So um, that was a fun and unexpected thing to happen at the end of a very not great movie. I really thought maybe if I rewatched it, it wouldn't be so bad. But it was so that's unfortunate um the next one that i watched was from that year too called upside down which was a interesting concept that didn't quite that they didn't quite nail 
Um, she's not exactly a manic pixie dream girl in that one. She's more of a memory loss pixie dream girl, which <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is kind of the same as uh, Eternal Sunshine. But in this one, she had had a head injury um, when she was younger. But uh, I don't know. It's really hard to explain. It, it's a sci-fi movie. Like there's these two planets maybe they're planets i can't remember but they're like right next to each other and one is like a mirror image of the other and one is like the up up side one is the downside of the world and so like in the upside everyone's really rich and everything is nice and fancy and the downside it's the opposite um and so the guy is from the downside and she's from the upside and they like somehow fall in love and it's really complicated. It's really a cool movie visually, but um, kind of didn't quite nail it on the other stuff. Then she was in a adaptation of Jack Kerouac's On the Road, which I did not watch because no thank you. Um, oh, and then she was in The Bling Ring. She's like... She makes a small cameo in Sofia Coppola's movie about uh, a true story based on a bunch of L.A. Or actually, they were from Calabasas, which is where the Kardashians live. But a um, group of L.A. area teens who, like, robbed celebrities, which was interesting. Uh God, I can't believe I watched this many movies. Okay. Uh, Two Faces of January was mm, not great. She plays the wife of a con man. Oscar Isaac is there. He's pretty hot. Oh, but hot. she's moved on to wife oh, roles then. Excellent point. That is an excellent point, and you're 100% right. She's moved on in 2014 to roles of a wife. Um, oh, I also skipped over one in the Manic Pixie Dream Girl phase uh, from... Oh, fuck. Uh, uh, The Cat's Meow from 2001, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, was bad. Not good. Not interesting at all. I've never cared less about a movie. Um, Actually, that's probably not true. But um, she plays a woman named Marion Davies, who was the mistress to... um, Oh, God, what's his name? Hearst. The... Oh, God. I don't know. I didn't watch it. You did. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just couldn't remember his name. William Randolph Hearst, the Mm -hmm. founder of, Mm -hmm. you know, Hearst media whatever it's called now um the guy who built Hearst Castle so you can actually hear uh an episode of you must remember this about this that's way more interesting than the movie um but it's like about this uh party that happened on William Randolph Hearst's boat where Charlie Chaplin was there and some other producer guy I don't know. It was a stupid, boring story. And, like, for all of, like, the potential that's there to make, like, a juicy story about Hollywood in the 1920s, just didn't... wasn't good at all. Anyway, William Randolph Hearst might have killed somebody and then covered it up. 
that's <laughs> okay cool that's what happened in that movie and uh that was a very like manic pixie dream girl role for her but you're right in 2014 she moves on to playing a wife um uh as far as like what i've seen from this era of her career like i said i was watching season two of fargo she uh plays the wife of a man who is now her husband in real life whose name i cannot remember oh, jesse plemons todd from breaking bad jesse plemons yeah i'm gonna hate um, him forever i will never be able to like him <laughs> because todd in breaking Bad is like the worst human that's ever existed he ruins everything and he ruins uh what did Jesse's he do life? on breaking bad i don't remember what i don't remember him on breaking bad oh my god he plays he's like um He's, like, part of this criminal family, um, uh-huh. but he is, like, um, super uh, kind of nice-seeming, and, you know, he has that baby face, so... Minnesota nice. Yeah, <laughs> but he is so evil and scary, and, like... What season Todd. is that? It's Todd. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> him at all. Todd. Hate him. I don't know. He, like, probably the fourth and fifth season... Okay. Um, and he has a crush on Lydia, so he, like, does all this stuff. Like, that's, like, the only thing, the only way he can kind of be manipulated is because he has a crush on Lydia. That was Chris, Chris not Chris, Kristen Ritter, right? No, um, that was, um, Jane. She died in the oh, okay. third season? Second, the end of the second season, maybe? Yeah, I think that was the second season. Um, she is in Mona Lisa Smile as, like, one of the background women in the art history class. Oh, that, that plate, that makes sense. Yeah, she's, like, a little baby in that one. I think that was her first movie. Um, yeah, so in real life, Kirsten Dunst is married to Justin Cummins. Oh, Lydia. Okay, I remember her. Don't remember him wow, <laughs> at all. you need to watch Breaking Bad again. You know, no, thank you. Uh, Fargo is, is already like way too much murder for me, um, but she's great on it. He's great on it. They play a married couple. She and this happens in the first episode, so it's not a spoiler. She accidentally runs over the son of a crime family mm-hmm. in the road, and then um, she. It takes place in like 1979 or 1980, so she's on this like very 70s. Um, human potential like I just got a self-actualize mission mm-hmm. um, and so she just he's like in her windshield and she just keeps driving and she drives home and she just pretends it doesn't happen and hmm. then the rest of the season kind of un- unravels from there um, but they're both really good in that but she is playing she's playing a wife Uh, But that show is really interesting because they're dealing with a lot, like they're dealing with the women's movement, they're dealing with um, just the post-Nixon America, it was really fucked up in the 70s situation, you know, like there's just like a lot of things, a lot of levels that it's working on and it's really good. Fargo, uh, created by Noah Howley, who is like, mm-hmm. whoa. I forget if I've talked about this on um, on the podcast yet. I'm reading his book right now. Did what we book talk is about that? it on the podcast, or did we just message about it? No, we were just messaging with Joey um, about it. It's called Before the Fall. Um, I've been... I'm 
terrible at reading, but I've realized recently that if I can get, like, a good horror or, like, thriller book, mm. like, I'm great at reading. I love, I'm, like, can get super hooked on a book if that's what it is. Nice. And so I bought this book um, on a website used um, uh, because I heard, not the Noah Halley book, a different book uh, called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um because oh, I did heard talk that, about that one. Be, yeah, because I heard that Charlie Kaufman was going to adapt it into a movie for Netflix, and I was like, oh, surely it will be good if Charlie Kaufman is going to adapt it for something. So I was like, cool, I'll read that book. So I bought that book, and then the website was like, you might also like this book, and it was this book called Before the Fall by Noah Howley, and I was like, wait, Noah Howley, who made Fargo, and also Legion? Yes, I will like that book. I will buy it. <laughs> um, so I did, and it's so good so far. I'm only halfway done. Um, it's about a plane crash, um, and there are two survivors. One is, um, like, kind of a down-on-his-luck artist, um, and a little boy who is the son of a guy who essentially started, like, a Fox News-type news channel, Mm -hmm. um, and the other guy who, him and his family died on the plane, was, like, a traitor who was about to be arrested, for a bunch of like illegal money shit so it's about like rich people it's about um their lives and i mean i'm only halfway through i don't know what happens but it's like were they murdered why did the plane crash why did these two people survive and like though i it's a good story um definitely like i want to know what happens but i really i really appreciate the way Noah Howley writes like I'm just mm. I'm just like so impressed that a person could be so good at so many things I know it's really annoying <laughs> yeah <laughs> um all of the characters on Fargo are so like the level of quirky detail to them is really wonderful and I yeah. that's true of well because the Fargo movie was Coen Brothers right mm-hmm. so that's always true of their characters too but they're uh, the characters on Fargo are they all have these like weird and like or like it feels very organic to those characters like these interesting traits or interests or whatever um there's a we were talking um when we did Jim Carrey about his show that he's on kidding that there was a really well-written uh character who had cancer on that show and there's a really well-written woman character on this show who also has cancer um and just you know it's it's telling that story in a way that we don't often get to see um and I appreciate that Ooh, also this melted my brain um there's a couple episodes where like Ronald Reagan passes through town on his campaign bus and they cast uh Bruce Campbell as Ronald Reagan and it melted my brain he's amazing it's like I never would have thought of that before and now it's just like makes perfect sense I want to see a whole movie where he (laughs) plays Ronald Reagan I just rewatched the first Evil Dead for the first time in a couple years and I just love how he you can see him really start to shine yeah once once everyone else is dead (laughs) (laughs) he just comes alive him in his beautiful chiseled face yeah uh well i guess i circle back to kirsten dunst and she plays such a weird character in Fargo, and she's so good and it's a really slow burn but i'm like 
I think I have like two and a half episodes left and like she really is like the not the maybe the most important character in the whole season which is cool because it seems like it's a show about all these men but actually there are some really interesting women characters who are really oh my god oh my god Jean Smart is on it she was on Designing Women do you remember how much I freaked out I do. You cried. I cried. I love designing women so much. She played a character named Charlene, who was like this real dumb dumb from Poplar Poplar Bluffs, Missouri, um, and she plays the matriarch of this crime family on Fargo. And it's like so different. She's so good. Oh my god, I love her so much. Um, anyway, then uh, it so that she did Fargo in 2015. In 2016, she was in Midnight Special, which is a sci-fi movie that I've been meaning to see. Yeah, I meant to see that too, and I didn't. Um, she plays a wife and mom in that. She was in Hidden Figures, which I still haven't seen. She plays oh, a racist in that. It is a good movie. I mean, I liked it. I yeah. didn't like, want to like it. I just like watched it for funsies because I had it. I, Why wouldn't you want to like it? It's know, a movie just, about women doing science. No, things. I know, and that's great and awesome. It just like didn't feel like a movie that I was going to be like really into. And then I watched yeah. it and really, really liked it a lot. Did you see the picture of uh, the woman whose algorithm made yes. that photograph of the black hole possible? She that picture of her like posing proudly with all of the hard drives. Yeah. Oh, it just makes me so happy. I saw somebody on Instagram posted a picture of the black hole and they were like, it looks like a cervix, right? And then you can't unsee it once you see that because it looks, yeah, it does. Oh, oh boy. Well, sure. Cool. How about that? Space's cervix. Yeah. Uh, in 2017... She was in The Beguiled, uh, which is Sofia Coppola's most recent movie, I think. Sounds true. Um, that was a remake of a movie from a long time ago uh, about this, like, women's school, small women's school during the Civil War in the South. Um, and, like, a wounded Union soldier happens upon this place and they take him in and uh turns into a real kind of misery situation but sexier i don't know uh that's a bad way to describe that that's not what happens at all uh it's weird it's very dark because they use mostly like natural lighting and candles and stuff so i had to turn the brightness on my tv up to (laughs) see it (laughs) that was very boring the first time I saw it. I meant to rewatch it. I did not get a chance. Um, but it's just, you know, it's quiet and slow and boring. Um, I read uh, one of the interviews that I read. Apparently, Sofia Coppola, like, asked her to lose a little bit of weight for the movie. I don't know why, but... Uh, Kirsten Dunst was like, no, I hate exercising, and also we're shooting in Louisiana, so I'm eating fried chicken all the time. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> Good uh, for her. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, around that time, she also made Woodshock, which is a movie that I love a lot. 
I also meant to rewatch that, didn't get a chance to before we recorded, but uh, Woodshock is, um, was written and directed by Kate and Laura Malavi. They are the sisters behind the Rodarte fashion label. Um, this is the first movie that they've written and directed, but they uh, did the costumes for Black Swan. Those swan costumes were uh, creations of theirs. So they, they've worked in film previously, but not on their own film. Uh, Kirsten Dunst stars in it. She also executive produced it. And the synopsis of that one is a haunted young woman spirals in the wake of profound loss, torn between her fractured emotional state and reality effects, reality altering effects of a potent cannabinoid drug. Um, so it's this really bizarre and beautiful kind of exploration of grief and also psychedelic drugs. It's great. Also, there are redwood trees. Highly recommend. I feel like I don't like Kirsten Dunst as much as I wanted to when we started this. Really? It's opposite Jim Carrey. But you only watched like two movies. Yeah, and I don't really care. Both about of which were from nineteen ninety nine. Like I don't I don't know, like she doesn't I don't know. I don't find it as interesting. Her as interesting. I wish Yeah. I think that you should maybe watch something from this later era of her career. Like, you should definitely see Woodshock. Yeah, you and Joey have both told me that. Oh, did Joey see it? I think so. Oh, he, the last time I talked to him about it, he had not. Um, but she's, like, doing something different now. And so if you watch two movies from 1999 and you're like, mm, maybe I don't care as much, like, that's a bad jumping off point for that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She was also on an episode of Drunk History where she plays Agatha Christie, who apparently at one point in her life just disappeared for a couple weeks. <laughs> And then, like, showed up and was like, what? I've been here the whole time. <laughs> she was great on that. Um, but, yeah. So that's all the stuff that I watched. Which was a lot. I have no... I can't... I haven't watched any of them. I don't have anything to say about them. Yeah. Do you have anything to say about Drop Dead Gorgeous? Mm, no. I mean, it would have been better if a woman directed it. Obviously. Obviously. I think some of the maybe more offensive stuff wouldn't have made it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I love when she tap dances while she is putting makeup on dead people. <laughs> it's very incredible. I also love that she, like, tap dances, um, like, as she's walking to work. Yeah. <laughs> like, she is... Uh, tap dancing forward yeah i don't even know if you can do that well she does yeah i don't know it was like the parts that were good were really really good and the other parts i was like i don't want to watch this yeah yeah i actually uh bought the dvd of it because i was like yeah i love this movie i'm definitely gonna want to watch it a hundred more times and it turns out that was not actually the case which is unfortunate but I remember seeing it when it came out. I think I saw it like in the theater, and I remember just being like, "This is so subversive!" <laughs> like, really blew my mind at the time. 
I'm reading um, Roger Ebert's review. Because mm-hmm. I think he's say. usually pretty spot on. He says, sometimes I wonder how anyone could have thought a screenplay was funny enough to film. The script for Drop Dead, bleh. the script for Drop Dead Gorgeous, on the other hand, must have been a funny read. It's a movie that somehow never achieves takeoff speed, which I agree with. I bet the script is so much funnier even than the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the uh, trivia on IMDb. Apparently, the original title was Dairy Queens, but it had to be changed after the corporation that owns Dairy Queen ice cream chain filed the lawsuit. (laughs) Yeah, that's unfortunate. Although, I feel like it would be, if this took place in Wisconsin, would be a more appropriate title. Because Wisconsin is like known for its dairy and cheese and stuff. Roger Ebert is talking about he gives like two examples of things that are like kind of funny when you imagine them but then when you see them you're like oh never mind <laughs> um, which is which, he references which the part where the me- the beer can gets fused to her hand oh I love that <laughs> no but I agree with him like I think that it like to read that is funny and like yeah ridiculous but I don't want to see it I I like it made me feel. Oh no! Icky. It's a wonderful moment of body Ooh, horror I that like is I unexpected, like it. or it feels um, like maybe in a different context, it wouldn't have been as weird. And then, and then the other one is the anorexic girl. Yeah, that's. Ugh. And also the character that Will Sasso plays. Yeah. Um, who has some intellectual disability. Um, and also they, they may, they say something about, oh, the guy that takes care of him, who is that his brother or yeah that he's one mm-hmm. of the judges, like the, in the epilogue of the movie where they're like showing like what became of each of these people, like his epilogue thing is that he like died from Lyme disease and now his brother runs the store. And I was like what the fuck like why that like yeah i don't know like many I, it's like choices. an extra soft soft uh, spot for me so i'm just like why why did you have to pick lyme disease why couldn't it have been something that's like you know more factually accurate or whatever anything else Weird. um yeah i don't know so yeah there's like a lot of stuff in this that i was like uh, um but i think Actually, some of my f- my favorite parts I thought were going to be during the town pageant with all the girls. And I do love that scene where, like, during the pageant, they do... Actually, the whole pageant, is like, segment of it is really great. Um, but I love the part with the stools that they Oh, my God, painted. that dance. So they have wet paint, I and they're doing this that dance. Part. That made me inspired yeah. to do a circus act where something like that happens. With wet paint? Yeah, like, where... Cause oh. they, so they're doing um, a physical fitness dance as part of the pageant, mm-hmm. and they're in these kind of, like, skimpy outfits that are red white and blue red white and, and blue with like white, white shorts and somebody yeah. has painted their stools that they dance with um blue and red 
Is it more than one color or is it just blue? Anyway, the stools have been It's blue and white, I think. Bef- yeah. Right before they go on. So as they do this dance, they they start getting covered in paint. Um, but in in places and ways that really, like, add to the experience of watching the dance. Like, they all end up with, like, perfect <laughs> handprints on the front of their white shorts and, like, perfect, like, blue lines right down their butt cracks. Like, it's, I love that part. Yeah, it's so good. Um, but I really love, like, the regional and national segments because like in the regional segment she gets there she feels like super intimidated because there's all of these like professional beauty queens and whatever and uh she like they cut funding for the pageant so instead of being two days it's just going to be one day and so they're like trying to shove everything in and there's this buffet of seafood and uh everyone's eating seafood and then all of a sudden everyone starts vomiting everyone but she, I love her reason why she doesn't eat seafood. Her mom said that you should never eat something that carries its house around with yeah. it. <laughs> so she's the only one who doesn't get sick. Yeah. Um, and so by default, she winds up being Miss Minnesota Teen Rose whatever. Because um, they only have one day to do the pageant because they don't have any yeah. money. So they just give it to her. Yeah, so, well, actually, the whole reason that she wound up there is because the person who wins the Mount Rose pageant dies in a fiery... Yeah, a uh, lot of people die in this movie. ...float-related explosion. Yeah, so because she was runner-up, she winds up going, and then she is there, and then everyone else gets sick, so she, by default, wins. And then she winds up at Nationals, and they pull up to the headquarters of this cosmetics company that sponsors the pageant and it's uh closed it has gone out of business and all the beauty queens start freaking out and destroying stuff i love that they all arrive together on the same bus which makes no sense at all (laughs) (laughs) didn't even think about that well you know maybe they were staying at a hotel and they all came from the hotel that's my thought okay no i don't think because all their luggage is also on the bus Oh, yeah. Anyway, I liked that. It made no sense. Continue. Yeah. No, that's they, it. And they that's tear all. the shit out of the place. Yeah. And then Kirsten just sadly gets back on the bus by herself mm-hmm. while everyone else is, like, destroying windows and sculptures and stuff. But where was she that she... uh gets to be a reporter oh my god right so then uh, the person who was actually sabotaging the pageant was the woman running the pageant because she wanted her daughter to win and her daughter did win and mm-hmm. then died on a float during the celebration so she kirstie alley's character so she went to jail for that and then this was another mm-hmm. part that i was like "Ooh, funny uh maybe to read but definitely not funny to watch. So then she yeah. escapes from jail and starts a shootout and she's killing people um who Ciali's character is um right and, and then the local reporter gets mm-hmm, shot gets shot while she's on air and so Kirsten Dunst just like steps in and picks up the microphone and starts reporting well because the whole through the whole movie she's been talking about how Diane she Sawyer wants to be Diane is her Sawyer. yeah yeah uh and that's why she's doing the pageant and uh so then she you know reporting live on the scene and she gets to be a reporter which is nice um 
Yeah. I just saw this trivia bit, though, while you were talking. The town of Mount Rose is fictional and is an anagram of Rosemount, where screenwriter Lona Williams graduated from high school. However, all the other Minnesota cities mentioned in the film... Wait, no, I'm reading the wrong one. Here it is. Uh, all the other cities are real cities. Sorry. The movie makes multiple references to traditional Minnesota food. The Mount Rose High cafeteria serves lutefisk for lunch. Jello salad is served at Tammy's funeral. And if you heard our uh, What Am I Chewing episode from last week, you heard us talk all about Jello Jello salad. (laughs) And several scenes included people eating and offering bars considered an essential dessert for Minnesota potlucks. I think this was like the first time that I had ever heard a Minnesota accent. And I just thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. When I saw this in like 1999, <laughs> just like Minnesota. It's okay. One of my roommates is from. Oh dang, I can't even remember where she's actually from. Somewhere over there. Um, I'm a bad friend. I can't remember. But she <sighs> has that accent every once in a while, and so she'll say like "bag" <laughs> for "bag." It's cute. And then we all make fun of her a little, but then we all do it also. Big. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else? Hmm, I don't think so. I guess the only other thing that I was thinking about was that in one of the interviews that I read with Kirsten Dunst, she was talking about how she's really good at silent acting. And I that tickled me because I had noticed that she's a good silent actress. Like, there's a few, like, in... um bring it on both bring it on and the virgin suicide she has like silent flirting scenes Mm -hmm. and bring it on it's her and cliff and they're like brushing their teeth next to each other and it's like completely silent but they're like flirting and like looking at each other and like spitting out toothpaste it's really (laughs) weird but it's really cute and then in virgin suicide she has that like silent flirting with trip while they're watching the movie movie or something at Mm -hmm. school yeah so I don't know. You definitely have to... I, I would recommend you either watch some of season two of Fargo. I couldn't and hardly or do the first season. It was really stressful. This one doesn't feel that stressful. It actually feels very kind of slow and plotting. Okay. I you can know? do that. I just couldn't... Yeah. I like had to turn... I did... I think I'm pretty sure I finished the first season, but I had to turn it off like many times because of yeah. the violence and the... It just made me feel icky. I didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot more violence in this than I would... Like, I would have never watched it if not for quote-unquote research purposes, you know? Um, and also because I heard a, uh interview with their production designer recently that was interesting. But, um, yeah, I mean, the first few episodes actually were... Like, it took me a while to get really into the story, and now I'm, like, extremely attached to all of the characters. Ted Danson is on it. I do love Ted Danson. He's just, just a, a, such a delight, you know? Um, I feel like there's a lot of, oh, Nick Offerman is on it. Like, there's a lot of really great people on it. Um, and it, it balances, I think that there's a good balance of, like, um comedy and 
seriousness and stuff and that um like the worst characters like uh, uh, seeing some things happen to one character in particular like he has this daughter that he's abused her whole life and then Kirsten Dunst and his daughter is like a young blonde woman and then Kirsten Dunst winds up kind of I don't know maybe torture is the wrong word for it but it's like very satisfying to see someone who's basically like a proxy for his his daughter who he's abused so much like beat the shit out of him you know I don't usually like watching violence but whatever <laughs> there's no violence I don't think in uh, Woodshock so you can watch I mean people die but it's not violent no, I don't, there's just a certain kind of violence that I mind, and I can't even, like, every once in a while it'll just feel, like, too real for me. Like, like mm-hmm. the way, like, the way the bullet got stuck in his hand in the first season, and that's, it wasn't even violent. Oh, I didn't watch violent. the first season. Oh, man. Yeah. There, uh, I was actually really relieved that it's an anthology show, because I was like, yeah, oh, I don't know, can do I, like, pick work? it up in the second yeah. season? And it's a completely different story. There's, um... A character in the first season who's just like kind of the worst and um mm-hmm. during a shooting incident he gets like a i don't even remember if it's a bullet if it's like a pellet of some kind stuck in his hand um and because he's like trying to like keep all the pieces together of what actually happened because he committed a crime he mm-hmm. just lets it sit there and it's like a it's like a focus that keeps going back because his hand is getting really infected and it was just yeah. like a level of like gross body stuff that i was Gangrene. like oh, yeah i can't watch this yeah you don't you're not into body horror at all i am though i like it in i like it when i'm expecting it okay um, yeah but some yeah sometimes when it feels like too real like too realistic yeah. i'm just like oh. also i think that there's like um some sort of like innate reflex that humans have uh with gangrene like it's it's so revolting because it's like so dangerous you know yeah like that's it's just like a natural reaction because it is like really horrendous there's not a oh i was never mind i was gonna say there's not a ton of like gore and body horror in season two but jesse plemons does wind up having to cut a man up and shove him through a meat grinder so Mm. there's that he's a butcher how far go yeah he works in a butcher shop and it's like also very i think it's like the very first yeah i think it's in like the very first or second episode like all three people that work in the butcher shop just basically have this entire conversation where they're all just saying okay then (laughs) Like very Minnesota. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, have we been recording for long enough? Yeah, that's that's good enough for an episode. Yeah. Right? Oh, man, we made it. Sorry if this episode was boring and sleepy. Because we're boring just and me sleepy. Rattling off. Kirsten Dunn's movies. Yeah. So you could go to Wikipedia and read all that yourself, but you could also listen to Kara read it to you, and she has a nice voice. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm feeling particularly uh, vocal fry today, but that's just because I like 
lost my voice yesterday. No, my aunt loves your voice. So I was telling you that, like, my aunt, my aunt listens to this podcast. Um, Hi, what's her name? Karen. Hi. (laughs) And, And she always loves your voice. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I watched all of the Kirsten Dunst movies, so you don't have to. (laughs) (laughs) But if anyone wants some recommendations, uh, I'd say definitely Virgin Suicides, definitely Dick, uh, definitely Eternal Sunshine, definitely Mona Lisa Smile, definitely Marie Antoinette, and definitely Woodshock and Season 2 of Fargo. So that's about half of the stuff that I watched, which is not a bad. It felt like a slog, but I <laughs> guess like it works out to pretty, pretty good um, ratio, I guess. So if Jordan, if people wanted to find you, where could they look? You can find me on Instagram at jordopc. Doing circus, mostly stuff. circus stuff. But sometimes other things. Every once in a while, yeah. Cool. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at bimps, B-I-M-P-S-E. You can find the podcast at Wistful Pod, and uh, get caught up on all our older episodes of both Wistful Thinking and What Am I Chewing in this very podcast feed or at CageClub.me, and we will. Ooh, what are we doing next month? I don't know. We, I mean, if we we're following our own rule, we're going back to a 90s male comedian. Uh, but we don't have to follow no. our own rule because it's not a real rule. No, but let's think about it. It's the only structure okay. we give ourselves. Um, okay. Well, this doesn't fit in that structure, but I nominate Drew Barrymore. Yeah. I'm going to feel the same way about her that I did about Kirsten Dunst. I... Yeah, but I have here's the thing though, here's my problem is like I just don't have any attachment to her. So it's not like mm-hmm. a fun like thing. Like not that I wouldn't enjoy maybe watching some of her movies, but I don't have any attachment to doing it, you know? So like for our podcast purposes and for my own like interest purposes, it's not as fun. Yeah, but I had no attachment to Jim Carrey. Yeah, until you did. Well, that's you might have a, a but you did have but you had like memories of Jim Carrey movies, yeah. Like same for Mike Myers, you were you at least went into it with like, oh, you know, I, I've seen this before. <laughs> What's this like yeah, now? But you might wind up have you might realize as you're watching some of her movies that indeed you do have memories about mm, them. I'm skeptical. Okay, well, Ever After is a really good movie, and I would love to talk it o- about it on the podcast sometime. God, I didn't even so like that, that was... when I saw it when I was 12. Yeah, but if we've learned anything from this podcast, it's that watching something when you're 12 versus when you're 32 or 33 is a completely different Yeah, experience. I don't know. It doesn't appeal to me at all. You can keep trying to convince me. We'll talk about it, but it does not appeal to me. Okay. Well, we'll figure it out, and we'll talk to you next time Bye. on Wistful Thinking. Bye.